pray with me. Father God, we stand in your presence and sing to you, worship you, pray to you. Thank you for that song. Thank you for that prayer. And now, Father, uh, if we're going to offer you our lives, we offer you our minds to be taught. We offer you our will to be led. We offer you our hands and feet to follow you. And we ask you to teach us from your holy word. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Good morning. Pull up a seat. All right, let me add my personal happy Father's Day. All right, if you are next to a father that you dearly love, you can give him a kiss right now. You're not ready for this, are you? Okay. You're not going to kiss dad? Man, it's all talk, Bill. It's all talk. Good morning. My name is Pastor Dale. Open your Bibles. If you have one, electronic or other, open your Bibles to... Uh, the book of Philippians. We're in a series going through this great book. We're going to look today at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. Philippians 2, 12 to 18. We're going to cover a lot of material today, and um, I do encourage you, if you're not in the habit, maybe pull out this outline we provide every week. Uh, this will help you, especially today. We've got some extra resources in here, and it'll just help you follow along, maybe learn a little bit more as we teach. I have to admit that I am a bit of a news junkie. Love watching the news. Fake news, real news, doesn't matter, I watch it all. Sometimes I'll even uh, surf, you know, I'll go from Fox to CNN, uh, probably can't go beyond CNN, I get a little nervous, but at least I'll be surfing back and forth and it's amazing as I listen to the news how the exact same events can be interpreted and discussed in so many different ways. But I've almost quit watching. Because for me at least, um, one thing I don't like, and Becky often puts it this way, she says, I can't stand it when they just yell at each other. So how many of you, like me, are a little bit tired of the fighting and the tension going on in our world and in our country today? A few of you. Who's not tired of it? See, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle, whether you are a blue or red state in your heart or anything else, the reality is, uh, yeah, all the tension, fighting, yelling, screaming, arguing that kind of accomplishes nothing grows very tired. This week, the tension in our culture went to a new low point, or you might say a new high point in terms of dialing up the heat in the rhetoric as one man went to a baseball field and as a group of uh, members of one party were actually preparing to do the only thing they've done with the other party in months and months, which was to raise money for charities to care for kids in D.C. Even as they're preparing to do the one thing they can do together, someone decides the best thing to do is to kill as many of his opposition party as he can. So today, I'm not going to do a sermon on the politics of the day. 
kind of set you up, didn't I? But I am going to speak to the issue of how does God want us to be living as followers of Jesus in our real world that we have to live in, we have to breathe in, we have to interact in every single day. And the thought that came to my mind as I studied today's passage, not as I studied the news, but as I studied the Word of God this week again in preparation for today, what I saw in the passage was this phrase, what God's will is for us is that we as followers of Christ in the midst of any culture, in the midst of any world, no matter how tense and crazy and chaotic or even we're going to see a passage today that will describe the world of the Philippians as crooked and perverse. And to me, that sounds like modern-day America. That even when you're living in a crooked and perverse world, we are called to be people that provide Less heat, more light. Say that with me. Less heat, more light. And what I see today is a lot of heat and very little light. So I think what you'll learn today should apply to your politics, but I hope way beyond that it applies to your everyday life as you go to work, you go to school, as you interact with neighbors, as people ask you questions about what's going on in today's world. I think this passage is a great bit of wisdom for you and I, especially in the midst of living in what this book will call the crooked and perverse world that this new church was birthed in, living in, breathing in, trying to follow Jesus Christ in that kind of a world. So open your Bibles, let's go. We're going to learn about how to engage our world, not avoid it, not escape from it, because that's the tendency of a lot of Christians. Let's just, let's just hide from the world. Let's just turn off the news. In fact, let's turn off all conversations and just retreat. But this passage does not teach retreating. It teaches engagement. But it teaches some biblical truth about how to engage our world in a way that really makes a positive impact for the kingdom of God. Man, I love this passage. And we're going to see that it's written... From Paul to the Philippians, even though he's having such a tough time, the politicians of his day have thrown him in jail. He's actually in jail for his faith, and he's writing this bit of wisdom for you and me. So I think that's worth listening to. Listen to the Word of God as we read the passage, and then I'll take it apart with you. Pick it up in verse 12. So then, my beloved, so then, looking back to what Ryan was teaching the last couple weeks that we are to be servant-minded with humility like Jesus Christ. So then, let's get practical. My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, in other words, they had a history of being obedient to what they had been learning from God and from Paul, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, in other words, when I'm there teaching you, but now much more in my absence. I'm in jail. But even though I'm here in jail, just like you used to, I want you to continue to obey, but now much more in my absence. And then he uses this command, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without <clears throat> grumbling or disputing. Another translation translates this uh, grumbling or complaining so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God, 
above reproach in the midst of a crooked, there it is, and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain that is among you, but even if I am now being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I still rejoice, and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Great passage. The passage breaks down into two big ideas. That if you want to live a lifestyle where you produce less heat but more light in our culture with your friends, um, grow up, stand out. Grow up, stand out. you got to do those two things if you're going to produce more light, less heat. The first half of the passage focuses on that command to grow up. It means to mature, to, to grow up in your faith. And the reason is summarized with this phrase, God's all, already working, so join Him. God is already working in you to grow you, so join him it's a reference that lines up very much in verse 12 and 13 with what um, i think ryan taught on the very first week of our series in philippians 1 6 look back turn your page back one page philippians 1 6 for i am confident of this very thing that he that is god who began a good work in you will perfect it it means to mature it or bring it to completion until the day of christ jesus in other words, God is at work in you. He's not going to quit working in you. God is already on the job working in our lives. We may not see it or feel it, but he's there. So therefore, since God already is working to grow you, you need to join him in that. You need to work out your salvation. Now, what does that mean? Let me break it down. Number one, it means we need to get to work in terms of our growth in Christ. The, the action, there's an action and an attitude in this next phrase. He says, work out your salvation. That's the action. The attitude is with fear and trembling. So let's talk about the first one first. What's it mean to work out your salvation? Because this has often been misunderstood as saying that, uh, that we are to work for our salvation or we're to work to keep our salvation. Never true, not true doesn't say that. It says, work out your salvation. It, it's, it's referring to the fact that when God gives us life in Christ as a gift by his grace, he wants us now to take that salvation that we have that is ours as a gift and grow into it, grow to become the person that God has created you to be. <clears throat> it's kind of like God's giving you a gold mine. So what he's saying is you have a gold mine in Christ so start digging and get some of the gold that, 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 that are the riches of this relationship with Jesus. Another metaphor would be if you think of your body and physically working out. What's it mean to, to work out to get in shape, okay? In other words, God's given you the DNA. He's given you the body. But if you do nothing with it to get in shape, you'll never be a great athlete. It'll never achieve whatever potential is in your bones, is in your muscles, in your structure, these gifts from God. So God has gifted you, he's given you a body, but now if you just lay around and watch TV and say, you know something, that's what I'm going to play like. I love watching 
Uh, I love watching highlight reels of LeBron James. I, was, I love watching Steph Curry. LeBron does not like watching Steph Curry, okay? Uh, that was, no, you just tuned out of the NBA Finals, I guess. But anyway, yeah, okay, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't like that. But, but the reality is they're great athletes. And I, I sit back and I, and I have actually thought, you know, I think I can do that. Thank you for the laughter. <laughs> wow. Man, brutal. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have laughed too if I were you. You know, but even in my younger day, I thought, you know, I can do that. But, but I'm just going to sit and pray for it. Guess what? Never happens. Now, there is a sense in which we are involved in the process with God of becoming who God wants us to be. Yes, by His grace, He gives us His Spirit. He gives us His Word. He gives us the body of Christ. But we are to work out our salvation. We are to, we are to get involved in our spiritual growth process. Now, the real confusing part is when He says, and do it with fear and trembling. Wow, that sounds odd. I thought God loves us. We're saved by grace. Why would we be doing it with fear and trembling? Well, let me step back from that phrase and take it to the rest of Scripture to help us define it. If that's our attitude as we're working on our relationship with Christ, let me give you three things that we know from the rest of Scripture. Number one, we know that this is not saying that you need to fear whether God loves you or not because God loves His children, but He does discipline in love. The Bible teaches us clearly in the book of Hebrews that any father, it's Father's Day, who loves his child uh, will at times in love, discipline them if he loves them. Because that when the child is, is going in the wrong direction and disobeying and becoming uh, a jerk, you know, if you don't discipline that child, they grow up to be an adult jerk. And an adult jerk is not going to have a good marriage, a good job. They're going to get fired. They're going to be divorced. They're going to, you know, so, so while they're young, at times you need to apply even some painful discipline, never abusive, but painful discipline so that you are loving that child toward maturity. Our Heavenly Father does the same thing. So if we think we should just say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm saved by grace, but I can just go out and live any way I want to, and God's going to ignore that, you're wrong. And there should be a healthy respect for your Heavenly Father and the potential of He may very well need to discipline you to get your attention. The second thing we know from Scripture is that God's children are secured by His grace and love. I wanted to be crystal clear on that this morning. When we went over this in our teaching team with, with uh, Ryan and Matt and Joe, one of the things we talked about was very few Christians today understand how secure you are held by the grace of God. You don't, you're not just saved by grace and then you keep it by works. You are saved by the grace of God plus nothing, period. Because when Christ dies for your sins on the cross and forgives you, he, he, he forgives you of all of your sin. Okay? Not just the sin from the, from the time you said, Lord, forgive me, backwards. He forgives you of all of your sin, past, present, future. By the way, how many of your sins were future tense when Christ died for them? Answer? All of them. None of you are that old. Not even me. Not even Daryl. Or anyone else in the room. Right, Daryl? Daryl, how old are you? How many? 73 years of wisdom. See, that's what I want to be someday as a young 43-year-old pup up here. <laughs> Did I say 43, 53, 63? 
My wife's just pumping it up, smiling through it all. Yeah, God's children are secured by his grace and his love. I gave you about six verses in your outline because I wouldn't have time to teach all these. But you go home and read these this week and you'll see it. Okay, John 5, 24 talks about the fact that, there, that, that, that in Christ we have life, that when we believe that we, we have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin the day you die. It begins the day you put your faith in Christ and trust him as your Savior. You begin to live eternally. That never changes. I gave you some other verses out of John. John 6, it says, All whom the Father has given me, Jesus says, meaning all those who will believe in me, that all whom the Father gives me will come to me, and of them I will lose none. Romans 8, 8 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 says, He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not believe in the Son does not have life. That's the difference. He says, these things I'm writing to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope so, wish so, but that you may know that you have eternal life. So read these verses this week. But God's children are secured by grace and by His love. That never changes. So why is He talking about fear and trembling? It may be in light of the discipline that God may need to exercise I think it's also, point three, I would say it's that we're not to fear of the Father, but we're to fear the wasted life. Don't fear your heavenly Father, but fear the idea of the wasted life. The Apostle Paul talks about this in several of his letters where he says, man, I, I want to run well. I want to finish well. Someday I want to stand before God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's what you want to hear. And he lived with a, with a desire to not waste the life that God had entrusted to him by grace. You've been given a precious gift in the gospel and by grace. And if you take that gift and you don't grow up to mature as a believer, then you can't be used by God to really impact our world like he wants us, he wants us to. And, and, and that gift of grace ends up to some degree being wasted. Man, you ought to fear that. You ought to take your spiritual growth seriously because it's a precious gift that God has given you. So the big idea is this. Don't settle for spiritual mediocrity. Man, grow up in your faith. And that takes time. But there's good news as you seek to grow up in your faith. And that is, number one, you're to get to work. Read your Bible, get involved in a life group, get involved in discipleship, find a mentor, spend time in prayer, all of those things. But realize, number two, that God is already on the job. See, we're invited to get to work growing because it's not that God is waiting for us to take the first step. He's already ahead of you. It's like God is already at work, working on you. You may not know it, so join him. Wow, join him, get involved with him in all the cool things that God is doing. There's three great facts that I thought surfaced. The first one is obvious because it's right in this text, and that is that God is working in you. It says, for God is at work, look at verse 13, working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at working in you. He sends his spirit to live in us. We are indwelt with the very power and presence of God, and he wants to be changing us. Now, the Holy Spirit is a spirit that brings the power needed, right? 
Now, the Greek word for power, by the way, is the word dunamos, dunamos. It sounds like what other words you could think of that think of power. Duno, as in dino, dynamite. It's the root of the word dynamite, okay? What, what someone else said what? Because you got more laughter than I did. I need to know what I missed. And dinosaur. Okay, wrong dino, but... Okay, but I need to remember that next service. That'll help me. Not dinosaur. Okay, although maybe it's a powerful saurus. Isn't it? There we go. He'll put a hurting on you. I know that. But anyway, okay, so, but forget the dinosaur. But dynamite, I like. And another one is what? Dynamo. Dynamic. Dynamic or dynamo. What's a dynamo? You know, dynamo is like a a generator of energy and power, right? And I heard years ago that, that you don't want the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit because what that does is like dynamite, it just blows things up, makes a lot of mess. You know, it makes a lot of noise and leaves a lot of mess behind. But a dynamo is what the Holy Spirit is to be in our life. Inside of us, he is the dynamo. He is the power source that can literally light up, a dynamo can light up a city, it can light up your life, it can change you, it empowers, it empowers, it provides the power for something good. So the Spirit of God is within us as the ultimate God-given dynamo to enable us to be able to change and to grow and to become what He wants us to be. So God is working in you. Number two, God is working around you. You know, God is always involved in our lives. Romans 8, 28 is my favorite verse. Don't have time to teach it, but write it down. Romans 8, 28, which talks about God promises that for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he'll say all things will work together for good. So God is always looking at the things happening in our lives, saying, how can I take this bad thing even and turn it for good and bring some good out of it in Dale's life or the life of others around Dale? See, so God is at work in us. He's at work around us. Thirdly, God is working his purpose and plan. I love this phrase. He's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God's got a a goal in mind that he wants to accomplish, his good pleasure. God has a purpose. He's got good things he wants to do in and through you. And And he's got a will In other words, he has a desire to use you and to work. He has a willingness to use you and to work in you for his good pleasure. God is working his plan. We don't often understand why God does what he does, why he allows what he allows. A great quote that I remember from uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who's a quadriplegic and uh, walks with Christ and as she reflects on why did God let me get paralyzed when I was a teenager from the neck down and why would God let things like that happen in today's world especially in the lives of people who love him and she says this it's a great quote God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves God hates pain God hates disease God hates death God hates sin those aren't God's preferred will But yet, in today's world, God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves, which is to grow us to be more like Christ. So, grow up. 
Get to work on your faith. Don't be a passive Christian. But be active in the process, but do it knowing that it's based on the power of God, the presence of God, the work of God that He's already doing. So God is already at work. You're going to leave Him alone or are you going to join with Him? God says, join with me, especially if you want to make a difference. So grow up. We've got to be growing if we're going to be people that live in today's world, number one. Number two, then you've got to stand out. You don't just grow up, you stand out. And listen to what he says. It begins in verse 14. So he says, grow up, verses 12 and 13. Verse 14, now do all things without grumbling or complaining, disputing, so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of this crooked and perverse world, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Stop right there. The word lights in Greek is the word for like luminaries, stars. Okay, it's not just like one big bright light. It's like multitudes of light. Okay? God wants His followers to be like luminaries uh, in a world that is dark and hurting. So God's purpose is that we would be a light in a world of darkness. That's the purpose. Okay? God's purpose is that we would be a light in the midst of darkness. Okay? Now... What's the plan for getting there? If that's the purpose, what's the plan? And I love it because God doesn't leave, leave us having to guess. He gives us the plan, and His plan, I like to break it down, is this way. It's increase your wattage. You know, you can't be an effective light in a world like this of such darkness if you're too dim. You need to be a bright light, so up the wattage. What do you do to up the wattage at home if you want to turn the lights up? Number one is you turn off the dimmers. You turn off things that dim the light. You don't want to activate the dimmers, right? And now, what are the dimmers? I think the dimmers in this passage is do all things without murmuring and complaining, okay? And so the number one dimmer is, is this spirit of complaining. It's grumbling and complaining. If you want to stand out as different from the world, what a difference this would make if we only did this one thing, to decide I will refuse to complain and to grumble, murmur, okay? I'm not going to do it. For example, if you want to apply it to politics, they're living, Paul's living under Caesar whose power has thrown him in jail and he still writes in his epistles, live with honor, pray for your leaders, live with a spirit of obedience and respect and submission even to those who are not just fair but unfair, unjust. What a difference it would make if we simply said, I refuse, I refuse to complain. I refuse to complain. I'm just not going to go there. Now, does that mean that you're never politically active in speaking out for your views? No, I don't think that's what he's addressing here. We live in a culture in which there's a big difference. Our democratic process invites us to have a voice and to have a vote and to pray for our leaders and to be involved in appropriate, respectful ways. So you know, I, I'm all in for being involved and taking a stand for things that you think are important. I'm not asking you to be silent, but I'm asking you to listen to the Word of God and be, don't be a complaining, murmuring type of a voice. 
So what do you do to do that? How do we do it more respectfully? Well, you up the wattage. You turn off the complaining and you up the wattage, and he mentions three things. In verse 15 he says, number one, you are to be blameless and innocent in today's crooked world. Notice the contrast. If the world is known for being crooked and perverse, instead of being crooked, we're to have good reputation. You're to be blameless, innocent. In other words, don't you commit the same sins that other people commit. Be blameless and innocent. Be different in a good way. Number two, he says, live by the word of God. He says that you would be children of God above reproach. Instead of a perverse culture, we are to be like children of God uh, who appear as lights in the world, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. In other words, holding fast to live according to God's principles. Live according to the word of life. That's the, that's the scriptures. So seek to live according to scripture uh, and, and, and be of good reputation. And so instead of a crooked world, you have a good reputation. Instead of a perverse world, you're living according to the word of God. And then the result in verse 18 is be more full of joy. Never lose your joy. Never buy into this pessimistic negativism of the culture, but be joyful. Paul's writing from jail, for heaven's sakes. And he says, look, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, verse 17, if I'm going to be sacrificed for your faith, in other words, I may be martyred tomorrow, I still choose to rejoice and I share my joy with you and I urge you too to rejoice in the same way and you share your joy with me. Don't be a pessimist. Because if God is alive and God is real, and He is, and if the kingdom that we live for is not the kingdom of this earth, and what I like to tell people when they say, so Dale, how do you handle all the political? <gasps> I said, easy. I've given up on both parties. I don't put my trust in the government to solve the problems of the world. So therefore, yeah, I pray and I vote and I try to be active. But you know, when the day is done, whoever's president is my president and I'm going to pray for him, and whoever is, and, and if they don't get anything done, that's not an excuse for me to sit on my butt and complain. Because you know what choice I have? I'll do something. If Congress does nothing, what's your job? Do something. Be a church that does something. And that's why, by the way, one of the cool things is, is to talk about what we are doing. Not to brag or to be arrogant, but to say, you know, while the government's trying to figure it out, here's a, I'll, I'll give you a freebie. Here's a line to use when someone says, so how do you handle the, all the ah! in Washington? I say, well, I pray for them, and I think my faith tells me to honor and pray for them respectfully. But yeah, I don't like what's going on. But you know, I've decided, I'm going to give it to you. Are you ready? Just say this. I've decided that it's my job to take care of me and to follow my faith. If you want to know more about that, I'll explain that later over coffee. Because my faith, my relationship with Jesus Christ says, I'm to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So I refuse to complain. Because I'm too busy. I'm going to use my energy to love Encinitas and North County. And, I, I, and through our church, we have different ways in which I can I can help love people one person at a time. And guess what? You know, we do the coolest things in Africa. 
We have teams that just got back from Africa and Kenya and Ethiopia and, and, uh, and that are right now, one of us are, are in, uh, in Congo and, and we're trying to, we're, we're busy rescuing prostitutions out of the sex slave and we're, we're helping to raise up widows and give them sustainable lives and microfinance them and teach them also though about Jesus Christ so they learn about forgiveness and grace. So we're making a difference. I choose to do something without complaining. That's how you lower the heat, increase the light. Make sense? So that's something we can all do. That's something we can do. So let's be people that decide, you know something? I'm not going to engage in harsh argumentation over politics. If you want to talk about views and positions, fine. I'll do that respectfully. But I'm not going to get involved in all the heat. Too much heat. I'd rather be a source of light than heat. And the way you're a source of light is be different. Grow up. Grow up by being different in Christ. Stand up. Be a light. Don't be a source of more heat. Be a source of more light. And when our world does nothing but fight, we do something. We activate the love of Christ. We're loving on people, taking the gospel, the good news, that we have an eternal hope and an eternal kingdom that we're a part of. And guess what? Nothing that happens on this planet will stop that. Choose to do something. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible wisdom. God, I didn't think this stuff up. You, you are so wise. You tell us how to turn down the heat and turn up the light, how to grow up and stand up. And I pray that as we do that, that you would use us as your church to make a real difference in our world. That's my prayer. Thank you for the wisdom of God's word. By the power of your spirit, may we walk in obedience to you and follow you. In Christ's name, amen.